Today in Agronomy on KFILAM AM 1060 with Pioneer Field Agronomist Allie Wise and Josh Schaffner. Here's Josh and Allie. Good morning, Southeast Minnesota. It's October 5th, 2021, and this is episode 82. Uh, so kind of a unique episode here uh, this week. Um, you might be wondering, where's Allie? And uh, so I'm just flying solo this week. Um, Allie's actually on maternity leave, and I uh, just want to congratulate uh, her and the family on uh, the arrival of their, their first baby. And uh, she'll be joining uh, joining us here again, uh, probably around the start of the new year. So uh, congratulations to them. And um, so, yeah, but we'll kind of just dive right in here and uh, and, and kind of just talk a little bit about what's been going on across Southeast Minnesota here um, from a harvest standpoint. So obviously harvest well under the way, you know, it's looking at the calendar here of October 5th. Um, pretty amazing the progress we've made already. Um, obviously, we did have a, you know, a really really good growing season from a GDU standpoint, uh, pair that with early planting dates and, and, um, you know, harvest kind of really kicked into gear there mid September, uh, on the soybean side of things. And obviously, you know, from a corn silage, high moisture, ear religion out into, into dry green corn, uh, things are progressing well, uh, you know, soybeans across the area, we're probably looking at, um, you know, just from my gauge of driving around doing plots and, and seeing the, the crop come out, I'm guessing we're probably, you know, somewhere in that 60 to 70% of the soybeans are out, uh, varies by operation, obviously, depending on your maturities. Um, you know, it seems like we've been shifting to a little bit early maturities in Southeast Minnesota as a, as a whole from where we maybe were five to seven years ago. And that's kind of contributing to some of that early harvest as well. Um, and some of those earlier genetics have really, you know, kind of picked up the pace from a yield standpoint. And, and a lot of growers just looking at how can we, you know, maybe increase the amount of harvest days we have by getting to the field earlier, getting them out, maybe looking at some cover crop, things like that. It's just been a really good system. And I really not giving up much yield on the early beans compared to the full season as long as we're getting them in the ground uh, early. So so a few just looking at some early results here. Um, you know, Al and I in the past have talked a lot about our replicated PKP plots we we do here in, in Southeast Minnesota. Um, pretty amazing. We already have 25 of those replicated locations harvested. Uh, and data summarized. Uh, all of these are in list E3 soybeans. One thing we've been pretty excited about uh, here at Pioneer is, is uh, kind of our new class of enlist and uh, um, obviously just a great system from we control pairing that with some, some newer soybeans that look really exciting as well. But uh, so just kind of looking at um, the summary there, currently the, the enlist E3 replicated PK set is averaging 71.8 bushel. If we kind of just compare that to all the years we've been doing PKP back to 2015, uh, that is running at a record pace. Uh, our previous record was a 70.9 average. Uh, so we're turning just shy of a bushel over that. Um, not done yet. We still have quite a few locations to come in. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see if we can, uh, you know, set a high bar um, from replicated PKP in Southeast Minnesota. My gut says I think we'll have a good chance to do that. And obviously that seems to be trending well with what we're seeing across the field. Uh, soybean reports from the field have been really strong as well. Um, you know, just from my experience and in all the years here in Southeast Minnesota, I think this will probably go down as, as maybe the best or one of the best living crops we've ever had to date. And uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, so with that, you know, a lot of positive things going on there, but obviously still a few challenges that, um, you know, if I get a lot of questions, you know, one of the big things is, you know, the standability of the soybeans in general, um, you know, more um, more leaning beans this year, you know, a lot of growers just kind of trying to get their head around, you know, why is that? What can we do in the future? And, and really nothing that anybody did wrong. A lot of it just boils down to, you look at our early planting dates, you pair that with really good vegetative growth in June, a lot of solar radiation, you know, adequate moisture at that time, you know, the beans got to canopy quick, they flowered early, they started setting pods, you know, in some cases by late June, early July. And then we just 
for the most part, really just hit a, you know, a respectable growing season. And especially get East 52 being just got extremely tall, uh, put a lot of pods on a lot of weight on there. So in some cases, just looking at that plant height paired with a lot of pods and the weight is a part of it. Um, you know, but, but also there's some other factors that can play into that to do. There's some genetic differences from variety to variety. Um, if you do look at, you know, minimum till system or, or no till systems, probably standing better for the most part than conventional till systems. Um, you know, just from a standpoint, usually we get a little bit more vegetative growth in the in the conventional tillage compared to the no-till. And the other thing has been the green green stems. I get probably had the most calls of um, you know, why are the stems so green? And and, and the big thing there just boils down to um, we've just had such a beautiful September. You know, we haven't froze yet. We really haven't been that cold. Yes, the days are getting shorter, but um, you know, Mother Nature has just kind of given us a, you know, maybe more of a central Iowa growing season. And the plants are kind of just, you know, kind of enjoying that and and have really, you know, finished strong, which is also part of the reason why we're seeing great yields is is we've had a lot of growing season and, and we've really extended the life of these plants and and not having a freeze or even cold temperatures and um, you know, adequate moisture here in September. That's been a big factor why the stems have seen stayed so green. But with that said, yes, we have some sustainability challenges. Yes, we have some green stems, but we pair that with a lot of yield. And in some cases, you know, to get yield numbers like this, we're probably going to, you know, we're going to see some of those things or need a growing season that we can extend the life and have green stems. And, and hopefully in time, we can continue to improve that sustainability as we continue to bring new varieties to, to market year after year. But you know, overall, just a really exciting um, soybean crop to date, a little ways to go here. And it'll be fun to, to see the you know, last 15, 20 uh, PK locations come in and, and see if we can set that high bar uh, from replicated PK set uh, across Southeast Minnesota. You know, another few, just to kind of close up here on the segment one on soybeans, um, you know, if you are looking for this plot data set, uh, be sure to reach out to your local pineal sales rep or uh, reach out to one of your, uh, you know, pioneer people like myself or agronomist or territory manager, and they'll be sure to hook you up. But uh, I'm sure they'll also be hitting some of your email inboxes and, uh, you know, we'll start sending that out as soon as we can. When I come back from break, we'll jump into corn. Welcome back listeners. Uh, so yeah, through segment one there, I uh, spent the whole segment there on soybeans. Um, a lot of great things going on with the soybean crop here in Southeast Minnesota. Kind of jumping into corn. Um, it's been a unique um, kind of fall here. We had so many soybeans out, but you think about the month of September, you know, we got to black layer kind of, you know, around September 10th to the 15th, 18th, you know, on the late side. But then we had some really um, just tremendous uh, weather uh, kind of across the board here. And, uh, you know, moistures have came down where in some cases we got soybean and corn, um, both being kind of ready and, and corn really losing moisture quick. So we kind of got, you know, both crops being harvested at a pretty good pace here at the same time, which is kind of unique for, for our geography. Uh, one thing that's been really impressive is just the drop of moisture. Um, some of my, my colleagues have been working on a little dry down study, Western Rochester out by Hayfield there. And it's been, I might just kind of go through this just to show the rapid pace that moisture has dropped, has dropped on the corn crop. Um, so looking at um, our first week that we did moisture checks, it was uh, September 14th uh, was the sample date. This was an April 17th uh, planted location and it did have fungicide just to put that into perspective. Uh, so back on September 14th, uh, the average moisture of the entire replicated corn plot set was 32.7%. So that was kind of our starting point back on September 14th. Fast forward one week to September 20th. Uh, at that point, uh, the set average was 28.6. So in that week of, of uh, September 14th to September 20th, we dropped 4.1 points, uh, which is pretty phenomenal in just a week time. Uh, you fast forward that one more week, our next check was a week later on September 27th. Uh, then the average moisture of the plot set was 23.3. So that week we dropped another 5.3 points. 
Um, had some temperatures in the mid to upper 80s that week, pretty tremendous. Uh, to look at that that pace of drop over two weeks, you know, we dropped off 9.4 points of moisture, which is pretty phenomenal. Uh, we take that. We did do a check here on October 5th, uh, just this past Monday. Uh, at that point, uh, we lost another two and a half points, and the set average was 20.8%. So this replicated set has hybrids from 98 day up to 105, just so you can kind of calibrate your maturity. Uh, but the big thing that kind of sets up the other thing is, I know we're still working through beans and corn harvests there, but extremely important to be watching these 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 corn moistures. In some cases, you know, it you know, I know it's October fifth, but we kind of got like November fifteenth moistures here already. So, and with that, sometimes you got to be thinking about you know, number one, just harvest loss from from head shell. You know, something that I've already heard a few reports of growers getting out to corn man. It's it's way drier than I thought it would be, and I maybe have a little bit of head loss. The other thing we're really starting to see is. You know, we're getting this dry, and usually this is when kind of the moistures that stock quality come start to come into play. Normally, these are late October moistures. Now we're talking about early um, October moisture, so we are seeing some stock issues. And I think one of the big things of this fall is going to be just the amount of uh, fusarium uh, crown rot that's out there. Uh, if you've been walking a lot of fields here of late, you, you might see that the stocks are getting a little bit mushy right down by the base there. And you split that, we got a lot of crown rot. Or if you're digging roots, you might see that fusarium can really make the, the, the roots kind of glow red or have a reddish look and not that normal white look. Um, but that's something that, that's fairly prevalent and, and not a surprise on a growing season that we've had kind of warm and dry through a lot of it with a little bit of moisture here down the home stretch. It's kind of a really favorable environment for that. But it's probably going to be you know, probably the most yield limiting disease that we have this year in corn is probably fusarium, just, just based on my observations. Um, so really important to be out there, you know, pushing stocks, keeping an eye on things. Um, it's not in every field. Um, you know, there are some hybrid differences, but as I've walked enough corn, I've seen it in probably almost any hybrid I've walked, even walking plots in some locations, you'll see it in one or two hybrids. The next plot, you won't see it in those hybrids, but you'll see it in others. So in some cases, there, there's not just an exact rhyme or reason of, of which product or which situation is, is maybe dealing with it. But I think it's extremely important um, to really be watching those corn moistures, look at your maturity, uh, be watching those stocks. Um, you know, don't want to have to have you put on a road show and be running around. But I think just keep an eye on things or, or leaning on your ground as you're finding your sales rep to be out there kind of pre-scouting that for you. Uh, keep an eye on maybe some farms that we, we want to put a, on a priority list to get out sooner than later. Um, so those are just a, a few of the things I wanted to cover on corn. Uh, from a harvest standpoint, we just have six of our replicated PKP plots out, uh, currently averaging um, 231.7. So again, we got about 60 of these to go. Uh, so still really early, um, but seeing some, some pretty good yields, a little bit more variability. I got a little bit of Western data in there that might have been a little more variable than the East. But, um, but yeah, either way, some, some, some good performance there and uh, some new hybrids we'll be talking about uh, doing well in that replicated PK uh, set as well. Uh, kind of some of the other big things, um, I'm sure I'm going to continue to get a lot of questions on tar spots. Uh, if you get down to Houston, Winona, Eastern, Fillmore, even moving up into parts of Olmstead or Walshaw County, you know, a lot of observations of tar spots. Um, I've had quite a few questions on it. Something you're, you're maybe going to run into in the cab, um, especially if you're combining some farms that maybe got some low-lying areas where the, the dew can set in a little bit. Um, disease that's kind of unique that you can see it, um, even when the leaf senesces, you don't need green leaves to see it. Unlike, you know, some diseases like northern or gray, they're, they're a little bit more hard to identify once the plant senesces or tar saw. It's very prevalent, uh, even on dead tissue. But um, so something to be, you know, keep an eye on there. And again, as we we kind of think about next year, be thinking about hybrid selection, you know, what's our fungicide game plan going to look like? But obviously, 
Uh, I think that's going to be something we'll be talking a lot about uh, this offseason, along with things like corn rootworm and other things. So, yeah, a lot going on in the field. Uh, be sure to be looking for our replicated PK updates. Uh, again, reach out to your local financial sales rep. Uh, they'll get you those copies, and we'll be back next week with more information from, uh, from Harvest 21. You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at AllieGYSWISE and at Josh Schaffner. Submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060.